Well, it is a joy to welcome you this morning to uh, First Methodist Mansfield, if we have not met. Uh, my name is David, and I serve as a senior pastor here. And uh, if you are a first-time guest or returning guest, I uh, would love to, to meet you, say hi after the service. If you have any questions, I'd love for you to stop by uh, the Connecting Point, which is located just outside this worship space. If you have your Bible with you today, I want to encourage you to turn to Psalm 1. Psalm 1, which is, uh, if you didn't bring your Bible, on the blue Bible, in the blue Bible that is in the seat pocket in front of you, Psalm 1 can be found on page 840 uh, in that Bible that we have provided for you. I want to encourage you to find that. Uh, also, if you'll locate the bulletin that you received when you came in, on the back of that is some space. If you'd like to write anything down from our message today, I'm going to share a few words with you that you may find, uh, you may find helpful. And so I want to encourage you to, uh, uh, to, to grab that. Uh, and while you're locating those things, let me just mention a few things to you. Again, I want you to hear uh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for hundreds and hundreds of volunteers who invested their time in our services last week, our Holy Week services and our Easter services. I told you uh, up front, you determine the reach of Easter uh, in the way that you serve, in the way that you share invitations. Uh, and so for you, uh, I want you to know, I want you to feel the affirmation that last week we were privileged and honored to welcome 6,712 people into uh, those services. So give yourselves a hand, church. You did pretty darn well uh, with, uh, with those great opportunities. Uh, it was a great, great weekend. Um, I also want to lift up to you in relationship to Easter, Lent, our journey through Luke, what we just wrapped up. Uh, I've put together a 10-question survey, uh, and this is your chance to give me feedback directly. I'd love to hear your thoughts uh, on our journey through the season of Lent. A couple other questions in there. Just We did a super series a little bit differently than we've done before. Uh, and if you go to this website, uh, pastordavealexander.com forward slash survey, you can find that 10-question survey. Now, I will tell you up front, I hate surveys. I hate taking them. I know you do too, uh, but I want you to know this this is feedback that I take really seriously. Um, you hear me say a lot uh, that we're a place, uh, we're a community that believes in growth. We want you to be growing in your life. And I'm a part of that too. I want to grow. Uh, and I know your insight will be a great blessing to me in, as I seek to, to do that as well. And so I uh, would appreciate you taking the time just to share uh, your thoughts about, uh, about that series. Second thing I want you to know is that today, uh, this weekend, is actually a weekend that is just as important as last weekend. Uh, and that's because today we are going to be celebrating the culmination uh, of the confirmation class that's been working these last uh, uh, 12 weeks, I think. 95 young men and women who today at 3 o'clock are going to come to this altar. They're going to profess their faith in Jesus, confirm their faith. Uh, we're going to pray for them, and they're going to become full members uh, of our faith family. Now, he here's what I want you to know about that. So first thing, yesterday I had the chance to be in Glen Rose with them. They were at, at a retreat. I got to baptize 25 of them. I don't know if I've baptized 25 people at one time ever before, including a set of twins, uh, actually two sets of twins that were, we did double dunking on both of them. It was awesome. We got, did them both at the same time. Uh, but there were so many kids that when Pastor Lauren told me Friday night, uh, when I got down to Glen Oaks, she said, we have 25 baptisms. It was like, 25 baptisms? We start at 3 o'clock, you know, about three seconds down, you know, up. Uh, I was trying to figure out if I was going to be able to be here at 6 o'clock last night for the service. 
I wasn't even here. Pastor Johnny had to preach a service because we had so many baptisms uh, in, in Glen, at Glen Lake. We have eight more who will be baptized today. Again, 95 uh, who will come forward. We're actually doing three baptisms also at 11 o'clock. We've done about 60 to 70 baptisms already this year. Uh, which is incredible. We'll have over 200 new members after today as we welcome uh, these kids. I know some of you are thinking, you know, Pastor, I'm here right now, once a week, that's my quota. I understand, but here's what I want you to know. All of these kids belong to you. You may not know their name, you may not know their family, but they belong to us. This is a landmark moment in their life, but it's a landmark moment in our life. Whenever someone says, yes, I want to follow Jesus, and yes, I want to be a full member of the church. Second thing is, I will guarantee you, money back guarantee, okay? This will be better than anything else you could do this afternoon, even that nap. Even that nap that you want to take this afternoon, to be here when 95 young men and women say yes to Jesus, uh, that nothing's better than that. And so I'd love for you to be back at 3 o'clock uh, as, we, as we celebrate that service. All right, the seeds of a better life is the series that we are beginning today. And I want to start by pointing out one particular word in that title, which is really the most important word uh, for, for thinking about what we are doing over the course of this five-week series. And that word is better. And I want to start here because regardless of where you are in your life right now, what life stage you're in, how you would define your, uh, where you are in your faith journey, all of us can get on the same page with the idea that we want a better life. Everyone agrees on that. No one joins a gym, no one takes a new job, no one relocates to a new community, gets a new doctor, makes a big decision in their life because they are hoping their life is going to get worse. None of us do that. The decisions that we make, the, the, the ways in which we live our lives, we are living out of our desire for a better life. All of us want that. Now here's the problem, here's where it gets really challenging is what does that mean? What does that look like? What, what, what does it actually mean to live a better life? On Wednesday, our pastors and several of our worship leaders got together and we came up with a list of words that we in our culture often associate with better. When we think about better, whatever category of life we're talking about, here's some words that we often use in relationship to better. We talk about better as stronger or faster or bigger or cheaper or newer or thinner or younger or healthier. We talk about better as being easier. And because we're a little bit strange, sometimes we even think about better as being busier. We want to fill our life with more. We think about better in terms of increased prestige or status or wealth or influence or security. And like everything else in our life, when we think about better, we'd like it right about now. <laughs> We think about immediacy. We think about wanting it right now. These are the words that we often think about, the words that we hear. They represent the shallow promises that surround us every single day when we think about the better life. And so we hear so many messages about what better looks like. We are naturally confused. What does that actually mean to live a better life? We're all seeking it. But what does it mean to actually find it? What does better mean? And that's the question that we're going to bring today as we look at the first psalm uh, and what the writer says here about the better life, the blessed life. Listen to Psalm 1, beginning with verse 1. Blessed is the one 
who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is on the law, is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. What does it mean to live a better life? What does it mean to live a blessed life? Well, I want to point out for you first what we find here in the third verse of Psalm 1. And the imagery that is used here that is imagery repeated throughout the Scriptures. Uh, That person, the person who is living a blessed life, the person who is actually stepping into a better life, is described as like a tree that is planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit and season, whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. And and here's the idea that's really guiding us over the course of these next five weeks. The idea that the better life is a planted life. It is a life in which we plant ourselves in in, in particular ways where we are connected to life-giving nutrients. And over the course of time, in the proper uh, amount of time, we have the joy of reaping the fruit of that harvest because we are living a planted, secure, stable life. Now, part of what I hope you are already thinking is that this kind of life And this imagery that the scriptures use to describe the better life is very different from the list of words that I just showed you. There is a a clear contrast between a life that is planted and a life that is seeking the better life as defined by the many words that we hear every single day about what a better life looks like. And I want to show you three of those words. I want to contrast those with words that would better describe what the planted life actually looks like. So let's begin with this, maybe our favorite word, uh, the word immediate. So I told you I was in Glen Rose this weekend. Do you know that in Glen Rose, you're, well, if you have Sprint at least, that's my cell phone carrier. Man, the internet is slow. Golly, it's like, oh, come on, webpage. Have you had that experience? Like when you go from LTE to 3G, come on, what year is it, right? 3G, come on, what is that? We live in a world of immediacy. And if there is something in our life that takes five seconds, we're hoping that someone will come up with a way to make it three seconds, right? I mean, that's really how we think. We live in this immediate world, but I want you to notice Look at verse 1. I want you to notice the progression that we find in verse 1. Verse 1 says that the person who is blessed is one who does not walk where they should not be walking, doesn't stand where they should not be standing, or sit where they should not be sitting. You could also think of it this way, that the desire for the better life, the seeking of the better life, is often undermined 
because we first begin to walk in ways that we should not be walking. And over the course of time, we grow a bit more comfortable and we start standing in places that we should not be standing. And, and eventually we find ourselves sitting in a place that we would have never sat in before, but because of this progression, this, this movement, we find ourselves in a place in life that we never, never intended to go to. Notice the aimlessness that is described not only in verse 1, but also later if you look in verse 4 when it talks about the wicked, those who are living a life that is less than the better life, less than the blessed life, they're like chaff that just blows in the wind. Chaff is like the outside of a seed. It's the thing that just gets caught up in the wind and it just... There's no, there's no direction. It's just wandering everywhere. There is this aimlessness to a life that misses the mark. And here's what I want you to, I want you to connect with me, that our desire for immediacy often, often encourages us, encourages our aimlessness. That we and our desire for the immediate results, I cannot wait, it has to happen now. We find ourselves without direction in our life, wandering from place to place, trying to figure out what can immediately satisfy the needs and desires that we feel so strongly in our life. We resort to wandering through life with no direction, no foundation, no, no sense of a core identity or a core purpose, and we walk in this process in places that we should not be walking, we stand in places that we should not be standing, and we sit in places that we should not be sitting. And some of you may be thinking right now, yep, that's exactly how it happened. Whatever that is in your life, Something that may have happened last year or five years ago, you think, yep, that's exactly how it happened. I had no idea how I ended up there. But I was just wandering through life, aimless, with no direction, seeking something to find that, that, that would satisfy that need. There is an immediacy, there is an aimlessness to the life that is described as better, but notice uh, the better word here that we find when we think about the biblical notion of a better life. The word is intentional. If you're going to plant something, you're going to do it intentionally. You're going to pick good soil. You're going to make sure that there's proper nutrients. You're going to come up. If you, if you really want to experience any fruit, you're going to remember that there are things that you must do on a consistent basis if you are going to care for that planting, that seed. If you want to eventually see the, the fruition of that growth, you're going to be intentional. You're not going to accidentally find a life that is better. You're not going to wander into it. Oh, here it is. It is one that is intentionally sought after. It is one that is specifically pursued. It is why we're doing this series. And it's why in the next three weeks what we're going to talk about are three specific seeds that we want to encourage you to intentionally plant and nurture in your life because you won't wander aimlessly into a better life. It is one that is sought intentionally. 
We make the decision ahead of time to say, this is the direction I want to go. This is the life that I want to pursue. This is the pathway that I want to stay on. And so I'm going to do all that I can to intentionally, day by day, continue to follow that path. We talked about the word faster. Yep. There we go, faster. So faster sounds a lot like immediate. Let me tell you what I mean by, by faster. When I talk about faster, I'm talking about the idea of wanting to squeeze just a little bit more out of each and every day. Uh, the, the, the desire that we have just to, to fit in just a few more things in that already busy calendar uh, that we have. It is what feeds this false notion that we can have everything we want in life and never have to sacrifice anything. We can have the career of our dreams. We can have the marriage of our greatest aspirations. And we can also, in fact, become the Leave it to Beaver family that is the envy of the entire neighborhood. And yet, what do we discover? What we discover is that the more that we add to our life, the more that we try to do, the more that we invest ourselves, the more that we squeeze and squeeze more out of our life and try to do more with less, everything that we do in life, we do a little bit worse than we did it before. And pretty soon, we're doing everything just sort of adequate. And we're doing everything with the sense that I just, gotta, I just gotta get by because there's something else that needs my time and there's something else that needs my attention. And we don't realize what it is that we are costing ourselves because we have said yes to too many things. And we've, we, in our desire for faster and more full and bigger and better, we have spread ourselves over the course of our life in such a way that nothing is done with care and nothing is done with compassion and nothing is done with the commitment that we really want to have. There is this desire for the faster life, but there is a better life that is based on the faithful life. And the faithful life is one that says, there are things in my life that are of primary importance in my life. And everything else, everything else, everything else must come secondary to the things that are of primary importance in my life. The person who is living the faithful life recognizes that every time they say no, it's because they have already said yes to something that is of such vital significance in their life that they're going to be faithful to it. They're going to be faithful to the, to the road that they have decided to stay on. And nothing, nothing, nothing is going to distract them from those things to which they are most faithful. I want you to hear this sentence because this may be where some are today. In our desire for faster, we often forget that to which we should be most faithful. In our desire for faster, we often forget that to which we should be most faithful. And every one of our pastors has visited with individuals who in their desire for a faster life, they have forgotten that thing to which they are really called to be the most faithful. And they only recognize it. They only recognize it when it's too late. When something's occurred, when, uh, when, when a fracture has happened, 
and they can't take back the decisions that they have made, the sacrifices they have made that have led to them not being faithful to that which is of primary importance to them in your life. When we think about the better life, we think about status and we think about security. And we think about this in all sorts of different ways. Some of us, we think about it in our professional life. Some of us, we think about it in our uh, financial life. Some of us, we think about it in our relational life. We, we even think about it in terms of our spiritual life. But in almost all of those categories, it most often reflects not a positive uh, desire, but rather it reflects our anxiety and it reflects our fear. It reflects this false notion that may feed our thinking, the false notion of scarcity and the false notion of insecurity. The person who is seeking the better life and believes that better life is a life of greater status and greater security is someone who is probably listening to a voice in their head that is constantly saying, I am not enough and I don't have enough. I am not enough and I don't have enough. I am not enough and I don't have enough. And that lie is repeated over and over and over again, feeding again that desire. I need more. I need more. I need more. I must be more. I must be more. I must be more. But what's the, what's the contrast here? The contrast is, is a life, a better life is one that is significant, but it's significant because you learn to live a selfless life. That you actually do what no one in the world will tell you to do. Stop thinking about yourself. <laughs> you will do the thing that no one in the world seems to tell you to do. Stop thinking about yourself. You, you live into the instructions that Paul offers in Philippians 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. If you have any encouragement from Christ, any comfort in the sharing of his love, if you are connected with him in spirit, then have the same mind as Christ, have the same heart as Christ, the one who was in very nature God but emptied himself and became a servant that the significant life actually has nothing to do with us, but it has to do with recognizing that, that, that we are meant to, to give our lives away. The better life is a planted life. The planted life is an intentional life, and the intentional life is what leads us into a deeper life. Here's one of my favorite quotes from Dallas Willard. Uh, the most important thing about you is not the things that you achieve. It's the person that you become most important thing about you is not the things that you will achieve, those things that fit on a resume. The most important thing about you is the person that over the course of your life that you will become. When you live an intentional life and an intentional life leads you into a life of greater depth, part of what happens is that the main driving questions of your life begin to change. They change from how can I be happy to where really is the true source of joy and the true source of peace. Uh, they, they change from what more do I need to how much, how much can I give? What, what can I do to serve? What, what would it look like for me to be more invested in loving and blessing others? The questions change from what do I really want from my life? to the question, what does life want from you? What is it that only you can do? What is it that God has planted in your heart? Where, where is that passion, 
that has been planted in you that would intersect, intersect with the needs that surround you every single day. The questions change when you live an intentional life and you uh, begin to live a deeper life and, and you recognize that it's not the achievements of your life that are really what matters, it's the person that you are becoming over the course of your life. And here's what's ironic about this. We all know this is true. I mean, we really do. We all know it's true because we all know someone. We all know someone who we look at. And when we think about what does it mean to, be a, to live a better life, what does it mean to, to, to find joy and, and peace? Our, our thinking naturally drifts to them. And one of the reasons that we think about them is because they have become something in their life. And because they have become something in their life, they have been able to be for you something that you value and treasure in your life. When I think about this, I think about my papa. Uh, my nanny and my papa were my grandparents on my father's side uh, of our family. And one of the unique uh, parts of their story is that they were an empty nest home for many years uh, early on in their marriage. Uh, they had children uh, much later uh, in, in life than, than most families uh, at, at that time. Uh, and once they uh, had their first child, um, th- they, just, they just kept going. So for about three years, my, uh, my nanny was pregnant. Uh, three boys, back to back to back. By the end, I mean, I can just imagine she was thinking, Lord, I just don't want to be pregnant anymore. Just, just stop me. Can you imagine moms? Like, let's go again. Here we go. Three in a row. And then raising three boys in a row who must have caused all sorts of chaos. But part of what that meant for me in my life, uh, I was the second oldest grandchild, but by the time I came around, they were well into their retirement years. My nanny passed away when I was seven years old, so I have limited memories of her. I remember playing cards with her uh, on her table there uh, in her house. My my papa passed away uh, just a few years ago. And one of the things that I realized uh, when we were getting together with the family and we were thinking about his funeral and and, and thinking about his life is I realized that there were really a lot of things I didn't know about his life. And that the things that I didn't know about his life also happened to be the things that are often the very greatest concerns in my own life. I knew that my papa worked for his entire career at the Montgomery Wards on 7th Street in Fort Worth. That was his career. And that's all I know about his career. I don't know what his role was. I don't know how many promotions he got. I don't know how important he was in that because he never talked about it. Never once did we sit down and share stories of working at Montgomery Wards. That wasn't what he spent his time talking about. That wasn't his main focus. I know nothing about that part of his life. Uh, They they lived in a a very modest home on Hope Street in West Fort Worth. But as a kid, I, I never connected the idea that this modest house probably spoke to the 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 wealth and status that he had in his life, and it wasn't much. But I didn't think about that as a kid, right? I mean, I just thought, hey, we get to go to Nanny and Papa's today. You know, I'm going to get to go out with Papa in the backyard and work in his garden with him. That, that's all I thought about as a kid. And so at the end of his life, I thought, that, you know, there's all these things that 
he never talked about, I never heard about, because they weren't the most important things in his life. But when we came to the end of his life and we thought about what do we want to celebrate and what do we want to mark, we knew exactly what we wanted to say. I knew that he was a faithful man. I knew uh, that he loved his wife and he loved his three boys. I knew uh, that he was someone who was a deeply committed follower of Jesus. He loved his church, served in almost every capacity that you could serve in a local church. I know that he was the chair of the trustees when the River Oaks United Methodist Church burned to the ground in the mid-80s or early 80s. I think it was 82, because that was one of the things that he was really proud of. He was really proud of that, that when that happened, that the church came together and they rebuilt their church. I heard so many times. Uh, about his Sunday school class that he taught for over 60 years. I can't imagine doing anything for 60 years. Can you, can you think, 60 years? Because he loved to talk about that. I knew that in his retirement, he mowed the yard at the church. I don't know why I knew that, but that was one of the things that he was, he loved to do. He loved giving that, that gift. But the most important thing that I knew about him is I knew he loved me And I knew he was proud of me because every single time that I left his house, this is what he would do. He would say something like, come here, boy. And I would walk over there and he would put his hands on both of my shoulders. He wouldn't let me hug him until he smiled at me and he said, I love you and I am proud of you. And then he would give me a hug. Now, why did he do that? Because over the course of his life, he became a person who understood that the most important thing that I can do for my grandson is to tell him that I love him and that I am proud of him. And he doesn't need to know anything about Montgomery Wards or how much was in the savings account at the end of the day. He needs to know I love him and I'm proud of him. I know you want a better life. We all do. But what does better mean? Does it really mean what we hear all around us every single day? Or is it something different? Is it a planted life? Is it not the... Is it the things that you achieve or, or is it in fact the person that over the course of your life you will become? I hope you'll come back over these next three weeks as we talk about these seeds that we believe by faith really do lead to a better life. One that in the course of time, uh, you can not only look back uh, with, with a sense of pride, but a life that you might live that might echo into the lives of generations to come because you pursued what really mattered in your life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, in these weeks ahead, we pray that you would bless us with wisdom, that you would open up our minds and our hearts to fresh and new insights. And Lord, as we pray for that, we recognize that some of those will be really exciting to us. 
we will hear something or recognize something that will be a brand new thought and, and it will set free, it will release something new and exciting in our life. We'll, we'll begin to move in a new direction and there will be a lot of energy in that. But some of the insights that we might gain in the weeks to come, Lord, they may be really hard to hear. And so I pray, Lord, for each and every person who will be a part of these next few weeks, I pray, Lord, that you would give us the ability to hear what maybe we need to hear. Maybe today, Lord, there is someone who, who needs to wrestle with that tension between faster and faithful. Maybe there's someone, Lord, who, who in hearing about walking and standing and sitting, they would say, I know I'm not where I should be. And maybe, Lord, there's, there's someone next to them. There's someone around them in their life who they know that, and they just, they just want to know how to help. And so, Lord, I pray that grace would work in, in that situation as you would lead by your Spirit. Help us, Lord, to, to hear wisdom, but more than that, Lord, help us to seek it. We want a better life. We all do. We want a life that matters. We want a life that is significant. Help us, Lord, with that really difficult question of what exactly does it mean to live a better life. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.